Who is in the race for number three pick? It is getting a little bit heated. We know who number one and number two are going to be most likely at this stage, even with Scoot Henderson's injury. Leaf and I are going to talk about it as to who to look for in the race for number three. Coming up on Locked On NBA Big Board. You are Locked On NBA Big Board, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up? Welcome into Locked On NBA Big Board. It might look a little bit different if you're watching on YouTube. Thank you very much. Uh, but Raphael is out doing uh, some workout in Senegal. Uh, really cool stuff. If you haven't seen it, go to his Twitter. Um, but I will be covering in the meantime. My guy Leaf is here. Uh, thank you very much for listening and watching Locked On NBA Big Board. My name is Richard Stamen. You might know me better on Twitter as at Mavs Draft. And also, if you're listening, I'll use this second to plug myself. I started up on Instagram at NBA Draft Film. Also on there, my guy Leaf is in his absolute wheelhouse right now. Leaf Tulin, he is in it's the best season, right? NFL is kind of heating up. I know you're an NFL fan, too, if I'm not mistaken. I know you've accidentally texted me some fantasy football stuff before uh, about Cam Akers. And then the NBA is in full swing. He's a big jazz guy, uh, works involving the jazz. And then most importantly, I mean, he watches so much college basketball. This is his absolute wheelhouse. Talk to me, Leaf. What's uh, What have you been up to in the basketball world? Yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been trying to watch basketball, play basketball. And, and then when I'm not working jazz, prepping some stat sheets, which will be next on the agenda today, I, I try to watch some some extra film on some of these guys that we're going to discuss. And and, you know, I, I yesterday I was trying, I had a little more time. I was like, man, I'm going to enjoy some live college basketball. And the games were terrible. But uh, but you know what? The more the more you love college basketball is because it's so unpredictable. You expect number 20 versus number 16 in the country at, no, the, at number 20's home. That was Maryland. It would be a great game. It wasn't. But you know what? Sometimes there's a game that you would expect to be terrible and it's great. So I'll take I'll take that on the chin and, and just keep watching the great game. Uh, but, yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about the race for number three right now, I think. Uh, everyone knows one and two, three through seven, I think is wide open and we're going to have, and we haven't spoken about it beforehand as to who we've got where, but I'm, I'm really excited to dive into it. And uh, as we get further down the road, I think it'll become a really compelling storyline. Yeah. I, I know you said three through seven. So I think that's what, uh, five spots, but really, I think there's even six, six, seven guys that could be in the mix, uh, for that. You have the Thompson twins. So that's two right there. You have Cam Whitmore. You have Brandon Miller, Nick Smith, and and I think somebody who hasn't gotten enough love. I think if we just look at how NBA teams evaluate players, I think Gigi Jackson has to be in that mix. He's just been so good. He's on a, probably the worst situation for him. But also it's a good situation for him in the way that like there's really no restrictions for him. So I, I like it, uh, but we'll talk about them, all of those guys at some point throughout this episode. Let's start with the Thompson Twins. I know we started talking about college basketball, but we're going to go in the opposite direction overtime elite in the it's almost like a bona fide high school uh experience now with the thompson twins what you need to know is they turn 20 next month mind you they are technically like in high school they played in overtime elite last year they got a big showcase in the basketball tournament back in july or august um somewhere in that window over the summer and they both looked really good uh they were clearly the most athletic players on the floor and these are involving former nba players former high level college players this was good competition, a lot better than I think what they faced in high school. Granted, the athleticism is probably more balanced in high school, but the skill is better here. So they looked really good. 
I don't know how much you've gotten to dive into the Thompson twins, but let's just start off with the with the softball question, I guess. Which which twin do you like more? So I've got a man number three, and I, and I think he's got number three locked up for me this year. I, I think it would be pretty hard for me to change that stance because I, it's harder to watch overtime elite than it is college basketball. It's not on ESPN every night. It's not on Fox Sports every night. But when I have watched them, his burst is second to none in this draft. And that's including Scoot Henderson. Scoot Henderson's got a ex- extreme uh, wiggle, and like he combines it with more skill with his burst, and, and it's close. But uh, in terms of just a a first step burst and a power and explosion in a first step, the six seven Amen Thompson is, is the first guy. And, and the fact the the reason I bring up six seven is height right there is because it's so rare to have that that those jets at that height, like. You often hear the comparison to John Morant in terms of his athleticism. And is he quite jaw? I'm not certain, but it's not crazy. Um, so he he's my number three. And the the big question about him and Osar for that matter is shooting ability. Can they can they shoot? Um, and and that other question is that leads to the can he play off ball at all? Should he should should he play not fully point guard? And and my thinking is, if you're picking someone at number three in this type of draft class, you want them to be on the ball. So I, that doesn't bother me as much as it would for someone you're picking down the road. Um, so Amen Thompson is my favorite of the Thompson twins. He's also my favorite of anyone not named Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Henderson. And I, I think he's third by a pretty decent margin. The question becomes extremely interesting for fourth. Um, but I, I like Osar as well. Um, and he's similar to Amen. He just plays a little bit off the ball more, and he's a really and he's, his defense sticks out more. But the shot is a question, and because he's off the ball, I feel like it gets unfairly scrutinized because he's a catch and shoot guy now rather than the the, the individual creator that Amen is. So that's my kind of brief overview of both Thompson twins in one. But I think Amen has separated himself from the rest of the pack for number three. Yeah, I think the combination of like to be quite frank, I think the, the recruiting class, this freshman class has been a bit underwhelming uh, and Amen Thompson also has been playing really well. Like that combination, it's a rubber band almost where I feel like he's just going to climb not only because of what everyone else hasn't done, but what he has done. He's been really good in overtime elite adding on to what you said. Like, of course, Amen, I think he needs the shot more than Asar. Um, he's been showing a little bit more of that jumper lately, but there's two things that come to mind. One, if I were to ask you who the most explosive player in the league is, um, as we as if you're watching on youtube leaf just uh went into like an unlockable character mode but uh (laughs) sorry to interrupt that but if you're asking yourself who's the most explosive player in the league you're probably gonna say like like if i were to ask that and you're answering this in your car wherever you're listening you're probably and answering it you're probably half of you probably said john moran and john moran is under six three if i'm not mistaken like maybe he is six three i can't remember the exact height being six 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 seven and being that explosive is an absolute cheat code. And then you throw in the fact that I think he's a lead in the pick and roll. Uh, I, I watch him. You kind of said it with the wiggle and with Scoot and everything. Uh, it, it's very similar. And just the way he snakes through screens, he can split screens. He can just manipulate. He he plays at mul- multiple speeds. That's massive. So for me, I think he's going to be the third best prospect at the moment until somebody else steps up. Let's talk about Osar, though. So they're different prospects. Like, I mean, you know, everybody thinks twins are generally going to be the same. Granted, like the Morris twins, when they came out 11 years ago, they virtually were the same player. Uh, even now, I don't don't really think there's that much of a difference between the two. But 
I'm curious what you think of Osar because for me, the big difference is the shooting in the lesser pick or pick and roll. Curious what you think. You know, it, it's funny for me actually because I, I want to separate them, but when I do a big board, I'm I'm having a tough time deciding. I haven't put one out yet, but I've been thinking about it. I'm having a tough time deciding who I'd put it for. And the closest person I think is Osar right now. And I, I don't think that's a typical take, but the, the, that relies a lot on potential and role. Because if he's on a team that says, you know what, we're going to put him the ball in his hands, I'm not certain he can't do what his brother does. It's just that his brother does it right now at an earlier stage, preventing him from having the same role. Um, but that, you know, he's a twin for a reason. You look at the twin and whether it's fair for Chris Murray, a lot of people are going to look at Keegan Murray's success and say, you know what, I think he's capable of doing so. So I'm doing that whether fairly or not. Because I've watched the flashes if he's a pretty good passer himself, but Osar's got this otherworldly first step. I'm sorry, Amin, Amin's got this otherworldly first step. And and he's like, you know, maybe maybe we get this this guy going to the paint. It's a walking paint touch. He touches the paint and he kicks it out. Can Osar do the same things? I'm not convinced he can't. I just haven't seen it yet. Um, so I, I'm actually, I think, higher than the consensus on Osar. I, I'm either going to have him four or five on my big board when it comes out shortly. And I think his efficiency has actually been really impressive so far. The shot does concern me because it's so wonky. Like there, it, it's, you know, there's, there's shooting coaches that can fix it. And the best thing to have be an air uh, issue, uh, an area of issue in the NBA. Uh, we saw it with Herb Jones. Like you go to the Pelicans and your shot's beautiful all of a sudden. Um, and I actually was watching the Pelicans shoot at shoot around the other day. And I was watching um, Mr. Vincent do his, do his wonders. But uh, if you look at the per 36 minutes, for Osar Thompson for overtime elite, he's scoring 25.3 points per game, 10.5 rebounds, six assists, 1.8 blocks, and 3.7 steals. Well, that's that's productivity off the charts. Um, it's hard to replicate that. And it's hard for me to say, you know what? If we don't give him the ball more, he's gonna, you know, maybe the, the efficiency suffers, but the the uh ceiling increases. So I think he's probably my number four right now. But I, but I'm going to say this is the caveat and a little bit of tease for next. Cam Whitmore and Nick Smith just came back. Uh, I haven't seen enough to give you a full, full interpretation of what they can do. But Osar Thompson's really impressed me in the bits I have seen. I'm looking to do a deep dive over Christmas break when I'm less busy with work and watch some overtime elite full games rather than some synergy clips and and watch bits and pieces of a game. And I, but I am impressed by Osar more than I think most people are. Yeah, and I think that you get, I think the Twins both get helped a little bit that they play together on the same team. Um, but I agree with everything else you said. Uh, we'll talk about Kim Whitmore and uh, Nick Smith on the other side of coming up in just a moment. But uh, first, we so we all know about ExpressVPN, how they protect your privacy and security online, right? But here's something you might not know. You can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. Maybe you've run out of stuff to watch on Netflix, so this will change your world almost literally. ExpressVPN allows you to binge like The Office on UK uh, Netflix. It's so simple to do. Just sign into Netflix, fire up the ExpressVPN app, change your location to the UK and refresh Netflix, and that's it. ExpressVPN lets you control where you want sites to think you're located, so you can choose from almost 100 different countries, so just imagine all the Netflix libraries you can go through. If you like Korean dramas, you can use ExpressVPNs uh, to watch Parasite on the South, South Korean Netflix with your Netflix subscription, but it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, 
YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN is to watch shows because it's ridiculously fast. There's no buffering. There's never any buffering, no lag, and you can stream in HD no problem. ExpressVPN also works on all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more, so you can watch what you want on the big screen or on the go. So if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, go to expressvpn.com slash locked on right now, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash locked on. Expressvpn.com slash locked on to learn more. So you're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few drinks becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end, if people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home. It's okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows about the dangers of uh, the risks of drunk driving. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. And that's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save our lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe, and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your whole life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. So as promised, we're going to talk about Kim Whitmore and Nick Smith, two of the I think they're, I, I want to pair these two together because they have very similar like trajectories, I guess, for the season, right? They both both missed a few games to start the year. Cam Whitmore's, I think, was more extensive, but they both missed some time to start the year despite being like top five recruits, top five preseason mock draft players. And now they're back and they're both doing a lot of damage. So let's start with Nick Smith uh, because I actually just watched him uh, the other day against Oklahoma. I I personally, I'll just be outright on this. I don't think he's in the mix that strongly for number three. Uh, for me, it's just I don't see enough playmaking flashes at all yet. Granted, it's early, but I don't know how much of a playmaker he is. And also, like, he is he is very skilled. I worry that he's going to be – I don't want to say, like, a name because if I say a name that's coming to my mind, I'm going to sound like I'm calling him a bust or something uh, automatically, which is not at all what I think he is. But at 6'5", he's going to have to play on off guard kind of as an off-ball player, especially early on, and then earn those on-ball reps. Be, like, a little bit of a spot-up slasher where you catch it, you either pump fake, and then you take two dribbles and you drive in or take a step back or whatever it is. That's going to be his main role offensively, I feel like. He's going to grow into more. But until he proves to be a playmaker, I don't know how much of a primary ball handler he is, and that concerns me. So I'm, I see you nodding, Leaf. What do you think? I'm assuming you're kind of in agreement here. Yeah, I don't have him close to three. I think that it's hard for him because when he came back, they kind of had an established rhythm of Anthony Black and Ricky Council, the fourth, really uh, doing a lot of damage. And so he's now trying to kind of assert himself as, as a dominant guard and a trio of dominant guards. And that's hard to do. It's hard to make yourself out as a as a winning basketball player on that team while still showing off like your capacities, and especially initially. But that said, I think he's a little reliant on the floater. And if anyone that knows me is listening, they know I love the floater. But that's because I'm not fast enough to go to the rim like John Morant. Like that's just you know, it's just I, I've developed a, an adaptation. That said, he is fast enough, but he's reliant on the floater. He's not a great finisher around the rim. And that concerns me at the NBA level rather than pick up. Um, and so he, I, I see him make intelligent cuts off of the ball. I watched that Oklahoma-Arkansas game as well. 
And I was impressed that when when he got off the ball, he was able to make good cuts and finish around the rack on uncontested lifts. Oklahoma is also not a great rim protection team, so he was un, untested on some of these finishes. Um, he he looks quick, but not as quick as I expected him to. Do you think that's fair to say maybe he's he's got some lingering uh, issues, the injury, or it's just like an adaptation to college basketball? Because I watched his high school film, and obviously he's going to be faster than everyone. But I thought the first step would translate a little more than I think it has so far. I, I don't know. For me, I think I thought he I think the scoring has been really good. I mean, he's been dropping 20, no issue. Again, it's just he's doing a lot of it off ball. How often do you see an off ball player in a stack draft go this high? That, that's really what it comes down to. And and like you said, though, with Ricky Council being there, I think it did throw a little bit of stuff off and he's still recovering from the injury. So we still don't know. Like, I'll, I'll say this when you were doing like mock drafts and big boards in December, very little of it is accurate uh, for, for reference. I mean, granted, I'm an amateur scout, but still, like, I had Nico Mannion at three at one point in December because he had a really strong start. So us saying, like, all this stuff, Nick Smith really, at some point, like, it wouldn't shock me if he falls even close to out of the top ten. Even though he's a six five three level scorer in theory, um, it, it is a possibility that we can't rule out. So, um, But I agree with everything you said about the Arkansas construction of the team I don't know what to make of Nick Smith's long-term play. It's really, for me, just going to come down to that playmaking in conference play. But let's shift to Cam Whitmore. With Whitmore, I think he's been incredibly impressive. At the minimum, he's a 3 and D wing. I think he's got enough ball skills, though, that he's more than that. What do you think of Cam? Yeah, he's he's adapting to playing in Villanova's style rather than up and down. I think in an up and down, he could be electric, and and he's still being able to kind of get to the rim using his strength and he's got improved step backs. Like he's always kind of had a step back that looks good, but he's doing it against college players, which, you know, is still a transition. I I think one thing about him is when he dribbles left, uh, he's shooting. And if he dribbles right, he's going to the rim. He's made that a little bit more diverse, which has impressed me. Um, And then the other thing is Nova's shooting as a team is, is seriously, poor compared to where Nova usually shoots the team. So the paint's more clogged and he's still able to carve out space on the interior. And that's impressed me. And he's just that good of an athlete. So I, I think if you were to compare he and Nick Smith, as we're kind of doing in this, that him coming off of injury has kept his stock at even, or even improved it. Nick Smith, Nick Smith, despite scoring similarly to Cam Whitmore, even better, maybe um, I think his stock's dropping and he's to me, Nick Smith's coming closer to where Keontae George is in a, in a trio of a backcourt where you're like, oh boy, like whose turn is it? With Keontae George and Nick Smith are kind of in that area together. And I think Cam Whitmore's elevated his stock to being four or five at a minimum at this point because he's he's bigger, he's shooting just as well, if not better, and, he, and he's got more defensive versatility. And I'm going to toss out a little comparison I thought of. I was doing the mock draft with Rafael last weekend, and number four pick came around, it was the Charlotte Hornets. And who was who on the Charlotte Hornets has just not played this year due to legal issues that has an archetype similar to Cam Whitmore. And I can't get that comparison out of my head, but he's got more potential than Miles Bridges. Um, so I think I think you could see him really slotting in into a Miles Bridges type role in an up and down team. He'd be awesome. And he's got I think he's got a, he's a better shooter coming out of college. Miles Bridges uh, improved, but in college he, he shot a lot, but he wasn't a great shooter. And so I think uh, Cam Whitmore stocks either steady or on the rise, depending how you saw him coming in. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head. The the unpredictability 
would do wonders for him. Like right now, he goes left, he's shooting right, he goes right, he's driving. You look at Miles Bridges, which I like that comparison. Miles Bridges, without being a head case, would be really good. Uh, Miles Bridges only shot 40% from three one year, and that was uh, the 72 game season after the bubble year. But his final season, I mean, technically, he's not even on the Hornets right now. Uh, he was a most improved candidate, 20 points, four rebounds, or sorry, seven rebounds, uh, four assists, one steal, a hair under one block. That was on 49% shooting. Kim Whitmore is going to be a better shooter if he can evolve, if he could evolve into a better just rim scorer and just slasher, I think, on both directions. It wouldn't shock me if he's a 20 plus points per game guy. For me, I don't think it's a one-to-one comparison, but just after a year of watching Benedict Matherin and especially how good he's been, I don't see how his stock is any different from Matherin. Like if it for me, it's like where would you take Benedict Matherin if he was a freshman doing what he did as a sophomore? In this class, that that's just what you're doing. Like again, not one to one players, but like in terms of their overarching projections, I would say as prospects, that's it. So for me, I like Cam Whitmore more than Nick Smith. I, I'm assuming I think you said you did as well. Yeah, I do. And it's hard not to like he plays a more valuable role. Like at minimum, he's a three and D guy. At max, he's a three-level scoring defender, or basically just a two-way wing, which if you look at the two-way wings in the league, I'd say almost all of them have made an all-star appearance at one point in their career. Like if you look at the top, like there might be some two-way wings, but like when I say two-wing, I'm two-way, I mean the three-level scores on offense, and they can play really good defense at least for a little bit in stretches and not be a liability when they're not in those said stretches. So uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but hope it does. Um, I just, I really like Cam Whitmore. Any final thoughts on Cam Whitmore before we go to uh, Gigi Jackson and Brandon Miller? Yeah. So I've got a, I've got a thought there is I think the Celtics have sort of revolutionized the way that draft picks are seen coming in, or at least in the, my head they have. And it's because the way they're switchable defensively, obviously Jason Tatum's the prototype. And then uh, Jalen Brown certainly is like a, a prototype too, which you like, that's awesome. But like I, I remember doing a podcast with you and Sam this this summer, and I was talking about Derek Whitehead, and and this is before we knew that he'd get injured at Duke, and like he hasn't been himself. But like I I had Derek over Keontae George, who I loved watching all summer, just because he was bigger and I thought he was more projectable for multiple roles. And so like you think of a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, and and say like at the minimum Derek Whitehead can play a similar role for what he's doing on the Celtics and he's big he he's defensively gifted and he can create offensively both by himself and create scoring well Cam Whitmore is more gifted athletically he's bigger so it's like the same thing is about the Celtics doing so when you brought the two way wings it came to my mind is I think more and more teams are adopting this this theory that if you can get big wings and they can already play defense and they can already score at one level. They can produce more level, more levels of scoring and get better on defense if they have the athletic traits to do so. Whereas I think like a guy like Nick Smith or Keontae George, it becomes harder to contribute at the same level unless you're that good offensively. And both of them have the capacity to be that good offensively to be in this conversation, which is a which is a credit to their abilities. But I just think it's safer and higher upside to take the bigger more athletic player and the way the NBA is shifting right now. Yeah, I I can definitely agree with that. And that's a really good point. Um, That's honestly perfectly said. Let's talk about uh, Gigi Jackson and Brandon Miller. But first, let me tell you about one of my favorite like snacks I think I've ever had, which is the built bar 
uh, you can choose any flavor. I recently ran out. So honestly, I'm really sad even just talking about this, but they have some new reimagined flavors, cookie dough tapper. Um, they have coconut brownie bar. They have a coconut brownie to- uh, tapper as well. Uh, excuse me, topper. Uh, white chocolate peppermint granola. Uh, that is built. That is built's take on a granola bar, but it's so much more filling. And honestly, I love white chocolate and I love mints. Like I snack on Tic Tacs way too much. So if you if you know me, that's probably my like dream built bar. It also and they also have candy cane brownie puffs. Uh, they are taking. They're biting into the universe's most delicious cloud. Um, it is, it's an incredible run for Built Bar. And honestly, the holidays, it's really fun. So for anyone who hasn't tried Built Bars before, they're literally the best tasting protein bars ever built. If you see what I did there. They're revolutionizing nutrition as we know it with 100% real chocolate, 17 grams of protein, and shockingly low sugar and calories. Only 130 calories. Just sink your teeth into that first bite and it'll change your life forever. I'm not kidding. There'll be a time before you tried these new built bars, like these flavors. This is going to be two chapters of your life before and after. And the magical, wonderful time after. You're probably wondering which new flavor is my favorite. Um, and actually, I haven't had the white chocolate peppermint, but I can guarantee you that one is going to be mine. They haven't sent me my new package, and I am I am very excited to do so. But they're all unbelievable, and they're all different. So you can order a mixed box. Try five all five flavors for yourself. With Built, you got to try this. Get 15% off your order right now using the promo code LOCKEDON15 at Built.com. So as promised, let's talk about Brandon Miller and Gigi Jackson. I'd say let's start with Brandon Miller. Uh, We can go in, in, uh, I guess, chronological order here, uh, where Brandon Miller is at this moment, and numerically speaking, three years older than Gigi Jackson. Um, And actually, let me check on his birthday, but... I think he is, I know Gigi Jackson is still 17. He, he turns 20 or sorry, 18 at the very end of the month or actually just in three days from now. So they are at this point, basically two years apart, d- despite both being freshmen. I think that's an automatic knock. You have to talk about Brandon Miller on, but what are your overall thoughts on Brandon Miller? Where do you have him in this race for number three? Talk to me about, about Brandon Miller. So yeah, Brandon Miller, I watched a lot of his film this summer and really started pushing the agenda of Brandon Miller being a top five pick. And I think it really was like a good look, especially as he came out and scored 20 in, a, in consecutive games. And right now, I believe he's the highest scoring freshman in America. So it looks it looks good. But when he's played against NBA caliber wings defensively, they're not NBA caliber offensively, and Leaky Black, ACC Defensive Player of the Year favorite, along with Reese Beekman. Then he's played against Andre Jackson, who, as you know, Richard, that, that's my guy. He's a defensive wizard, absolute freak athlete. And then there was one other game where he struggled. Oh, it was Houston. Houston's got enough like length, athleticism, and tenacity to make anyone struggle. So the, you have to take those with a grain of salt. But that said, the, the, the thing you have to worry about is, yes, he can score the ball. Yes, he's tall. But does that make him Paul George like, like it's an easy comparison to make? No. And it's the same thing you always say about like someone thin not being KD. But, but he's got similar traits in terms of the shot making he can do. Um, the knock was shot selection because he could make it. And I honestly thought that was a positive, even though it's sometimes infuriating. But the the one knock I'll say right now that I've lowered him on my board, because I was I was on the verge at the beginning of this year putting him at three. Um, him, Amen Thompson was just a touch ahead, so I, I guess four. But the one knock I, I would say for him is that when he drives, he doesn't look coordinated going to the hoop sometimes. It's like he he kind of stutters and he doesn't have his his footwork planned out and he doesn't have the strength to compensate for it. Like Cam Whitmore somehow 
Like he's not quite the Villanova archetype where he's jump stopping no matter what. And, and he's going to pump fake and he's going to be super strong, but he's got the super strong already and he can nudge you off your spot and he can create angles that don't exist. Brandon Miller's slender and he's not superb with his footwork going to the rim. So when he's being pushed off of the line and there's an athlete that can kind of push him and make him not shoot over the top of them and as easily, he he can struggle. So there's a bit of a knock. But that said, you scored 20 a game in the SEC and he's – He's on the number four team in the country that's conduct, conducted two number one upsets. Granted, he hasn't played well in either of those games. I I do I do value that. And so I think he is in the top seven, top eight right now. But I'm not quite on the hype train that I had earlier. And the reason I'm addressing this is because I, I figured anyone who's listening to this would have listened to me push the agenda most of the summer as him being up there. So, yes, I'm still on the Baron Miller train. I'm just not quite on number number three or four like I had considered earlier. Yeah, I I think I agree with you. I had high expectations coming into the year, given like I know he killed it at the TCU secret scrimmage, uh, which, by the way, if uh, if I may sidetrack, so TCU beat Alabama in the secret scrimmage. Alabama beat Houston. Does this make TCU the best team in Texas? No, I'm totally kidding. But uh, no, I'm I'm getting, joking aside. Brandon Miller's good. The thing that scares me is like. That Houston game really turned me off. I get it. It was one bad outing, but what makes Houston's defense that much different from anything Brandon Miller is going to be seeing in the NBA? And his, I thought his decision-making and shot selection were really poor. And like you said, he just looks really stiff and uncoordinated driving to the rim a lot. And I think we have to learn a little bit, even though this player has been heating up lately, the first 15 games were brutal for Jabari Smith. And he shares a lot of similarities in getting to the rim I think Brandon Miller can hold his own defensively like Jabari did. I think Jabari's great at defense still, though. And I think he's a good shooter at 6'9". I don't know, though. Like, when you have when you have these two-point scorers who are not so great, I think teams are going to see what Jabari did this, like, to start the year. Even if he ends hot, his two-point scoring is still such a restrictor for him that I don't know how teams are going to be able to justify drafting Brandon Miller top three. So, for me, I'm out on him being a third pick. Also, he's 20 years old. So... Like he's going to be 21 as a rookie very early into his rookie season. So for me, that's alarming. Let's talk about Gigi Jackson. Gigi Jackson, on the other hand, is the youngest player in the draft. He is still 17 years old for 72 more hours as the, at the time of recording. He's really gifted about the same size as Brandon Miller with more ball skills. I'd say better defensively and much better getting to the rim. And for me, like I'll just be straight up front with this. If I had to choose any of these prospects that we've talked about, not named Amen Thompson, I think Gigi's probably the best chance to climb to number three. For me, um, I I think that we we've seen what NBA evaluators and talent decision makers do. They love young raw talent that already has a, a noticeable skill gap with good size and frame to work with. Gigi Jackson checks every box, so. I really like him. Curious to hear your thoughts on him and anyone else you want to name as well. Yeah, so Gigi Jackson is someone that I put number 10 on my board uh, preseason. And, and I think a couple people saw that and were like, oh, he's playing on South Carolina. He's 17. He's raw. And I I put a caveat next to it. I remember writing this on my note, and I'm actually going to pull it up as I go. And basically what it said was this might be the worst, worst situation for any player in the sec because south carolina might not win a game in the sec but it may be great for him in the long run because he's gonna have to struggle to find a way to score and become a better offensive player by doing so he'll be going outside of his role 
and be, being the go-to guy. And then on an NBA team, now he may have the capacity to be an NBA guy through the struggle that South Carolina is going to put him through. Like this will be a crucible for him in the SEC play. Nets, he's bound to have some bad games, but so far he's been awesome. He's been excellent. And at this point, Gigi Jackson is is certainly within my top seven as well. So we are of like mind there. Um, you look at a mock draft on like Tankathon or something. He's number 23. That's that's ludicrous in my opinion. He's averaging 18 and a half points per game, 7.2 rebounds, 0.7 assists per 36. Um, that may drop in, in terms of efficiency when he's playing the SEC, but that's because he's playing against grown men. He's 17 and doing that. And I take that with, with no grains of salt. That's incredible production. Okay. So I'm with you there. I'm not sure I have him above Cam Whitmore because I've seen more from Cam, but I do think he may have the higher ceiling, but there's a little bit like the gap between Cam ceiling and floor is, is not enormous. Whereas GG's I think is there's a little bit more of a, um, there's not a divide, but there's like an unknown, uh, unknown space in between it. There's a liminal transition from ceiling and floor there, and you don't know where you're going to end up in that portal. And one other guy I just want to touch on real quickly is Anthony Black. And I'll ask, I'll ask a question of you here and to everyone listening. What is the difference in terms of where you view Nick Smith and Anthony Black based off this season? Aside from the fact that Nick Smith was number three or four in most mocks before the season, and Anthony Black was, you know, 15. Because right now, I think Anthony Black's look better. I mean, no more than like six spots. I mean, for me, I have like Nick Smith around eight. I have Anthony Black probably at the edge of the lottery. So I, I think it's pretty close. Yeah, so I uh, I was low on Anthony Black entering the season, and I, I've, I've swung a full 180 right here. I had Anthony Black about like 19 or 20 entering the season, and now I've got him in my top 10. So I, I think uh, – the difference between Anthony Black and Nick Smith is if Nick Smith has more passing flashes, because if it were to be what I've seen so far, which is, I guess is unfair because I've seen more of Anthony Black and I've watched most, if not every Arkansas game, uh, Anthony Black would be my pick. He's taller. He's better defensively. He is a better, better paint. Like he creates more threatening paint touches. I don't think he's quite got the guile that uh, Nick Smith does quite yet. But he's taller. He's better defensively. He's improved his shot enormously. That was my huge concern. I, I always look at some someone shooting like that. But Anthony Black is is uh, able to impact the game in more ways, and it's more uh, it's more translatable in an off ball role. Because we mentioned that the the cap on Nick Smith's ceiling is that he can't quite score um, if he if he's off scoring the ball. And then what does he do? Does he a, two, a true two guard? I'm not sure. Can he play a combo on a team that's going to be winning? I'm not sure. Anthony Black, I think, has got more margin for error, and he and the ceiling is also pretty high. He's shooting 40% from three right now, even though it's not the most beautiful shot. But results matter to me, so I'm I'd put Anthony Black into this conversation as well. I don't think he can get to number three, but I think right now, as it stands, I would take Anthony Black just one spot ahead of Nick Smith, around seven or eight. I like it. That's a spicy take. I, I, I respect it. Thank you, everybody. We are uh, out of time for today. Follow Leaf at Leaf Tulin on Twitter. Uh, myself at Mads Draft or on Twitter or NBA Draft Film on Instagram. But this has been a talk for number three NBA Draft Pick. We talked about the Thompson Twins, Kim Whitmore, Brandon Miller, Nick Smith. We also talked about Gigi Jackson and at the very end, Anthony Black as well. Leaf gave a compelling pitch for him. Go follow us whatever um, on, on whichever platform you use. Also, uh, go ahead and check us out on YouTube as well. Don't forget about that. Thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your day.